Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we're discussing all things coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Two outstanding guests join me this week, so I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hey, Phil. Thanks very much for uh, having us on, mate. Um, my name's Mike Rogers. My claim to fame is that um, I think I met Phil... Uh, off, when he got off the plane back in 2004, came out to New Zealand for a, for a rugby season and we were just reminiscing around um, him, him uh, devouring a burger at the Loaded Hog in about 20 seconds flat. Um, I do want to say, though, that he was a pretty impressive young man and to come out to New Zealand and, and um, take a bit of a gap year with, with a good mate of his and um, experience New Zealand, New Zealand rugby firsthand was, um, was really cool and he has threaded me around this, so I might as well just put it on the table that he was a decent rugby player as well and, and um, did, did pretty well out here. Um, aside from that, I've been coaching for the last 12 years. Um, most recently, the Waikato women's team in the Farrah Palmer Cup, and prior to that with, um, with Bay of Plenty at both Academy Under-19 and uh, Māori 10 Cup levels. So, and, um, and my club was Tauranga Sports, where I kind of cut my teeth as a coach and made a whole bunch of... Um, stuff up so over five or six years and look back on those times fondly and some of them are still pretty um pretty raw but that's all good it's all part of the part of the journey so mate thanks very much for having us on i really appreciate the work that you do and um yeah i'll hand over to jay brilliant uh yeah thanks phil for for having us on um i'm not much of a rugby player pretty short career i uh, i was actually player of the year for the green and marist under 14 b team so that was pretty good effort um, I guess I'm a golf coach. I work for uh, Golf New Zealand as the national coach for them, so quite removed from rugby. But um, I guess a lot of my PD has come from rugby and most of my learnings has probably come from Mike Rogers. So this could be awkward because if I talk about anything, I've probably just stolen it from him. Um, but yeah, thanks heaps for having us on and, and looking forward to the chat. No, guys, absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you very much. Mike, to be honest, like, that's it. We can just wrap up now because all I'm going to do is just put it on loop where you say I'm really good. That's going to be an hour of just that. So we're, we're, we're happy. Um, hey, I'm not sure if I said you're really good. I said you're a decent. Oh, I'll take it. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're both the same in my head. But yeah, that's, that's what I heard anyway. So it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, I know the, the check's in the post, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, no, it's class. Ab- absolute pleasure. So, gents, yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving up the time. Um, just before we begin, to everyone listening, please do remember to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the resources we discuss. Uh, so, Mike, we are jumping to you first. What are you going to chat to us about, mate? Uh, there's a couple of little things there uh, in terms of a course that I've recently been running where I've had a few guests on and and uh, there was definitely a couple of times there that um, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me around some of the some of the themes or concepts. So uh, probably the first one, and and um, Jay will be able to jump in on this one as well, is I've had Owen Eastwood on after reading his book and and I guess his, his process, I guess, even though he kind of says that he doesn't have a process, but the process around whakapapa identity, storytelling, and visioning, 
uh, really resonated with me because it's something that I've been I've spent a fair bit of time kind of looking into over the last um, kind of twelve months and and really understanding probably more around who I am and the way that I coach the way that I do is based on my identity and the, especially the experiences that I had probably as a younger person. Um, yeah, I, I found that uh, really fascinating and it was funny because I was talking to a mate of mine and he said, oh yeah, but it's really simple. And um, and it is really simple. Like there's nothing complicated about the concepts and the application, but it's actually really hard to do. And um so it's something that I've been kind of looking into a little bit around how I can create routines or rituals to enable me to do that stuff better. So I don't know, Jay, what's your um, what's your take on the Owen stuff been? Um, yeah, probably similar. Like I think there definitely is a process. I think he's probably just so skillful at it. It's like, you know, when you learn something, I think obviously you follow a pattern at the start. When you learn to cook, as an example, you know, you follow the recipe. And then as you get to be an experienced chef, obviously you don't need a recipe. And obviously I think that's where Owen is. He doesn't need the recipe. And um, I guess for those of us that are still beginning uh, in that journey or still developing our skills, we still need a, a bit of input from other things. So uh, I think the whakapapa thing and the identity is is really critical. And I think it plays a way bigger part in, um, in how we view the world and and how we how we experience stuff you know like we can all three of us could experience the same thing but take real different things from that experience and i think that's shaped from our history where do you think um where do you think you're at on that stuff at the moment well i thought phil was doing the questioning here what's this about you're the guest brother (laughs) know your station (laughs) um oh like it's a big, it's a big bit of work, and I feel like you're throwing me under the bus, but I'll carry on. Um, <laughs> I've, I've recently done some work on my own because I think uh, you mentioned a quote yesterday when we were yarning, um, where you said, uh, and it wasn't your quote. I want to say it was um, Jim Collins or something like that, where you said first, uh, Stephen Covey maybe first be understood before. Or you no first understand before you seek to be understood or something like that, right? And I think there's a bit of that. Know your own identity, you know, before you try and go deep into that space. So I'm probably at that stage trying to learn a little bit about me, um, going back through my history, where I've come from, what experiences have shaped me, and I've done a fair bit of work uh, recently in that space, and it's been really powerful and really useful for me. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I presented that whakapapa stuff on our course last week and um, one of the questions popped up, oh, do you have any siblings? And I hadn't referenced my, my siblings and my whakapapa. And it was a massive light bulb moment because there's a real clear, like I love my, my two brothers and my sister, obviously all the same, but my sister's been through a huge amount of adversity and that's all just part of that identity story for me around how I feel about women. You know, so my mother, my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother and my sister are all unbelievable people. And um, it wasn't until that moment that I kind of realised, holy shit, Stacey is as influential on me, even though she's a, a fair bit younger, as what those other people have been. And that definitely helped me probably find myself a little bit more, and in particular around coaching women. So, yeah, how, would you explain, really... how would you explain Papa? How would you translate um, that? Because there might be people listening going, might keep swearing. <laughs> I guess the, the simple meaning of it is your genealogy. So 
those people who have come before us. Um, but it's a lot deeper than that, and that it's really the stories about those people and the connection to other people and the land as being a really big one. So, um, you know, the Māoris were very, um, I guess, territorial and took huge meaning out of key landmarks like the land, the water, the mountains, and um, actually understanding all that and all the legends and, and myths that go along with, I guess, protection of those things is cool. And then you just look in more recent times around, um, you know, people that have been important in your life um, in terms of your ancestors. It's the stories about the cool things that they did, you know, and a lot of times in, in adversity, there's been a hell of a lot of adversity in, in New Zealand over the years, that's for sure. And um, I guess that all builds up a bit of a story that we can that we can take huge meaning out of for ourselves. So I kind of see it as all those things. Eh? It's, it's the people that have come before, their connection to other people and our, local, our natural environment, and then, you know, the, the stories that we can carry forward to you know, share with our with our kids and stuff, which is, you know, if that's going to help them be a bloody good person, then we should be telling those stories every single day. Mm. What's um what's the visioning part, mate? So you said it's about kind of storytelling and visioning. How, how does Owen like break down visioning? I, I kind of call it something else. So I call it pause, and um, and so it's kind of what whatever your purpose is or your you know. So his thing around visioning is really around we have to have something to believe in that is more than I guess all of us put together. You know, so we have to have an idea. You know, people, there's a quote I can't remember who it is, but People, people, um, you know, especially you know, in a high-performance team environment, they'll play for an idea um, at a greater level than kind of what they would around just playing for each other or playing for the jersey or, or whatever we want to sell them, I guess. So, um, But Owen's stuff around visioning is extremely clever because he gets people to, to vision not only the team and what success might look like for the team, uh, which I guess a lot of teams do, but also gets them down to an individual level to vision their own career, you know, or vision this season, you know, what, what would that look like for you? The journey that you go on on this season, maybe the next two or three years or the end of your career. And he talks about um, the England football team around the visioning that they do on day one, when a new player comes into their environment and they actually vision what that experience is going to be like for them. And then even to the point of, Hey, what's it going to be like when you finish up, you know, the injury or non-selection, and that's just so cool because then everybody's bound by that. And, you know, that gives you a reference point when you sit down with a player and maybe they're not meeting expectations or whatever. And you can go back to that vision that they had for themselves um, and then the vision you had for the team and it's all all linked. I think that's like he's extremely skillful around that stuff. Um, but again, I think it's a simple concept that you've actually just got to get on and do it. That's the, that's the hard part, especially when you're learning. But I think that's pretty cool, like, doesn't really matter if you if it doesn't if it's not 10 out of 10 to start with you're gonna figure out a hell of a lot about people when you start having those conversations how, how do you guys go about having those conversations in like an unforced way so in a natural way like because because i i still think lots of people talk it kind of comes into like culture and a little bit of that right so like early doors in the season coaches will get everyone in a room and we'll go right you know what's our culture what's our vision going to be what is what does this look like and then it all goes on a flip chart and it might get put up on the wall but that's as much as ever happens with it right there's just seems to be this this real kind of i guess maybe lack of inventiveness or or lack of um 
differentiation around how people go about doing it. So how how do you guys make that a natural process that's that's ongoing, not a one-stop shop? Like we've ticked a box, that's us done, well done, move on. Jay's looking at me like I should answer, so I'll all have a crack. Um, for me, it's, it's kind of two things. And the first one is like micro chat, like mini conversations. And I try and put a real big emphasis on that before training, in the team room before we head out to training, walking out to training on the field when there's stoppages or even when people are carrying out activity, it's just to have, remind them of little things. And, um, and, you know, like that could be like a 30-second interaction that is way more impactful than sitting down for a one-hour like IPP type scenario. So I've totally gone away that's, from that stuff because I find that it's really forced. Now we sit down for an hour, we go through this big bloody questionnaire analyze every single specific part of your game come away with a couple of work-ons and then carry on like it's um it's a you know cookie cutter approach to, to a conversation that should actually be a hell of a lot more authentic so I've definitely moved away from that stuff and I think it's um it's about creating opportunities to have those little mini chats but to be fair like I did a end of season catch up with one of our players on Friday and her feedback for me was she felt like she didn't get enough from me um, around that stuff and that's cool because I take that on the chin and that's that's certainly the reality if that's what she's feeling um, but that just means and I think the reason for that is I never asked her what she really needed so she needed more well she wanted more I don't know whether she actually needed that but she wanted more and um, like I probably missed an opportunity there so I think at some point in those first few interactions you need to get a real good feel for how much how much interaction people actually want from you and what they're actually searching for. And so, um, yeah, and then I guess the second part of it is in a team environment, rather than drawing stuff up on the wall or having a vision or a purpose or whatever that people co-create, I reckon we can we can still do that process, like how we bring it to life through theming or storytelling or whatever you want to do. That's where the real gold is. So I like to tell stories around my favourite failures but they all have real big meaning. So there's vulnerability in, in doing that in terms of telling people that, hey, man, I stuffed up and this is the context and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of that stuff's still really raw, but there's always one or two underlying messages that are associated, and then I choose to grow those. So as an example, with the Waikato Women's team, I told a story around a failure and a team that I'd coached and the underlying story was we weren't connected enough. And I said to the girls, look, all I want, all I want for Saturday is that we show that we're more connected than they are. And that was the only word, the only reference. And I didn't do a lot of talking between them and the game. Talked to them at halftime and said, win, lose or draw, I'm already exceptionally proud of you because we've already demonstrated that we're more connected than the opposition are. And like that was really, that was really powerful for them. But I guess the, I certainly don't think I'm a guru or anything, but that's kind of the two ways that I go about it. There's one is micro chat and a lot of that stuff's around belief. And then, the, in the in the group environment is tell a really powerful story with a couple of meanings and let them kind of pick the ball up and run with it a bit and and just trust that that's all gonna go pretty good but no guarantees I guess AJ. <laughs> um mate, my my thinking on that would be mine would be a probably a slightly longer answer so apologies for hijacking but um because it was part of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Um uh, may I think it was maybe two or three years ago. Um, I went and spent some time at a marae with uh, High Performance Sport New Zealand run a coach accelerator program, and it's 
headed up by a guy called Christian Penny. Um, and we went to this, we went to a marae, which um, I guess is a, is a communal place, um, which sort of serves the community and, and possibly spirituality or religion. But uh, I'd never really been to a marae before. I had on school trips and stuff, but not really understood the process of it. And so I guess one thing is my main taking out of that, um, out of those five days was the intentionality of an encounter. And so I think, uh, you know, some real critical learnings around that. And they do it in a beautiful way, I think, on the marae. So um, I guess the intentionality being the key word and, and the first part of when you, when you, um, when you enter a marae, there's heaps of different, every marae will have a slightly different process or kawa, which is a sequence of how they do stuff. But essentially, you start on the outside and there's an invitation. And so uh, there'll be people will welcome you onto marae and they'll tell you a bit about themselves and you'll tell them a bit about where you are. And they will, they'll often lay down, like you see it on, we see it on the news all the time, like, laying down a leaf and it's almost this challenge. Are you willing to accept the challenge? And one of the critical things out of this, uh, from my learning out of this uh, week was anytime you're having an encounter, um, the goal is that both parties leave with their mana intact and mana being, it's a really hard word to translate. I've heard plenty, I've asked plenty of people how to translate it, but it's almost like pride um, in a, in a in this sense so often i find uh you know as a coach when we're having an encounter it's often an encounter that i want to win so i want to get my point across and so the process of the marae if we if i looked at it into three ways and i try and structure things this way now so first thing is orientation and invitation so it's an opportunity to connect um and then the second the second part is you enter into the marae and that's where the reflection I guess and the learning comes from and then the third part is you exit the marae and that's where um, you can you know apply your learnings and so one thing I've that's probably where I've been really uh, trying to work on is that intentionality of the encounter and listening and and I saw Clark Laidlaw and was talking to him I stole an idea off him where we, when we meet as a group, our, our national academy, we do a process where we say, how am I and how are we? And so we sit around in a circle. We've only got a small group, not a massive, you know, there's only, oh, I think there was seven of us last time we were doing it. So um, how am I and how are we? And the first time I did it, I wasn't sure how it was going to land. And so I was a little bit nervous about it. My father-in-law was in his last couple of weeks Um of life with cancer and so I was in a tough place so I opened it up and and I said to the boys look I'm struggling at the moment um I probably haven't been as connected as I could have been lately here's what's going on in my life and um and then so how am I and then how are we you know I was excited about the journey we're about to go on as a group and I opened it up to the group I said to them I don't want to go in order here. I just want this to be random so you don't have to be the person on the left goes because I don't want you thinking about what you're going to say while I'm talking or while someone else is talking. I want you to be trying to listen. So we'll just have that moment. And then uh, we had a symbol on the floor um, where you pick up that symbol and it's your turn to talk. 
and anyway, I put the symbol back down after I'd spoken and I was pretty emotional. And then I said to the boys, like, don't, don't talk afterwards, you know, like let that sit for a minute. And then if you want to talk, but that time seemed to take an eternity. And I thought, Oh, no one's going to talk. This isn't going to land. Uh, and then one of the lads picked it up and he started talking about his struggles and stuff that he hadn't shared with anybody. And that went around the, around the room and pretty much, you know, like not everybody had struggles. Some guys were like, and I've, I've got, everything's going good in my life but what it did is it brought us together as a group and it got us to know each other as deeper level as people rather than that surface level which we do know because we spend so much time together but to really deeply hear about and listen to them and it made a massive difference and I said to Clark I saw him in a cafe down the road and and I said mate that was um man I stole that and it was so good I wasn't sure how it was going to land and and he said to me we pretty much do that now as a performance review, you know, because if someone's got stuff going on outside their, their world or outside, you know, their outside life, it's going to have an influence on their performance. And so I found that really powerful. And just that, um, that process of, I need to be really intentional about this, listen to what we've got going on. And so um, I guess for me, that's, it's, you know, when you know someone and you go, I, if you hear of someone and you think, oh, Mike Rogers, he's a bit of a dick and someone might go, yeah, he is. And then often people will go, oh, if you get to know him, he's a pretty good dude. Uh, not just you, Mike, but you know what people say today, oh, if you actually got to know him. And I think that's true of everybody. If you actually truly get to know them, you do go, yeah, they're actually a good dude. They've got stuff on in their world that might be different to our world. But And I reckon that then you can have some of those critical coaching conversations but that's it for me. I'm out. Jay, I think I would, uh, would it be fair to say that I know you pretty well? Yeah. I still think you're a dick. <laughs> well, that's right though. That's accurate. Yeah. In a nice, quirky, funny way. <laughs> uh, great to have you here, Mike. <laughs> um, how, I, I love the piece about intention. And I kind of want to bring it back to the identity bit, I guess. So how are you guys intentional with understanding yourself? Because I often find that's, that's maybe a question that scares some people that you start talking about, you know, discovery and, and they are, they kind of go one, like one or two ways in my experience, they, they kind of just dismiss it. And it's like, Oh, that's a bit kind of, you know, Buddhist Zen, all that kind of jazz, or they're just like, Oh my God, what do you mean? I've, I've got to like turn, turn it and, you know, turn the mirror and look at me. And that's a really scary thought for people. So have you guys, have you got kind of specific examples at all? Or have you got techniques or processes that you've gone through in, in terms of that self-discovery around that identity? Or is that just something that has naturally evolved over the course of your life and your career? Um, can I jump in there, Mike? Yeah, I think you're the best place to answer this one, mate. Um, so... On my podcast one night, a guy was talking about find your why. And I was like, oh, I don't really have a why. I don't really understand it. I'd love to have this, you know, save the dolphins type why, but it just never really landed with me. And a guy that listens to the podcast reached out and said, hey, that's sort of what I do um, for a job. And he said, I don't think it's something that you can do for yourself because you won't ask yourself enough critical questions and you won't listen to yourself well enough and you'll avoid the stuff you don't want to talk about. He didn't say this at the time, but he basically just said, I don't think you can do it for yourself. Would you be keen to go through the process? His name's Carl Sheridan. And uh, 
And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a crack. And so I went and spent a few hours with Carl and and he, go, he goes away. It's amazing because he doesn't record anything. He just makes a few notes and it felt like just this. And then he came back and presented a, to me what he thought my why was and what he, um, you know, I guess some of the stuff around me. And he said to me, did you know that in our conversation, you said the word scared 21 times? And I was like, oh, no. And then he said, um, not, he said, I said, not brave 14 times. And there was all this stuff underlying. And one of the questions he asked me was, what was your fondest earliest childhood memory? And for me, it was, I had this little green bike and I had a, uh, our driveway and the neighbor's driveway was about a meter apart. I was about four years old, I think. And uh, our driveways were about a meter apart. And I, I wasn't allowed to ride my bike on the road. We lived in a really quiet street, but I'd drive out of our driveway on the road for about that meter and quickly duck in. And he said to me, what did you do after you ducked in? And I said, I'd always turn around and see if mum or dad had seen me, see if I was going to get in trouble. And anyway, that was just this sort of random conversation that we had. And then when he was presenting back to me, he goes, um, you're still a little boy on the green bike, scared of getting in trouble and scared of, um, you know, bringing your whole self. And that's one thing that on the marae, that's, I didn't mention before, but they always talk about bring your whole self to the encounter, bring every part of you, don't hide anything. And he said, when you're on your green bike, when the boy on his green bike, that's you. Um, he said, I, I want that boy on the green bike to ride on the road and just turn around and give everyone the fingers. And it was a metaphor that really stuck because I thought, yeah, that's true. And that really, you know, it gives me goosebumps actually just thinking about that now, like that is true. And anyway, I sent my mum a message and said, hey, mum, have you got any photos of me and my green bike? And she sent one back. Well, she sent two back actually. But one of them is me in a Superman outfit, which I thought that's pretty cool. But ironically, the green bike's got bloody trainer wheels on it. And so I sent it to Carl. I was like, look at this. This is classic. It's got bloody trainer wheels, which... You know, and then and he said, like, that is the perfect metaphor of, for you. You know, like this little boy that wants to be Superman, but he's too, gets, too scared to take his training wheels off. And not that I could be Superman, but, you know, it's amazing how many things now happen. And I think, and I just have to reflect and go, am I being the boy on the green bike here? Or which boy am I being? Am I being the boy that wants to cut back in? Go so, Jay, when I, um, when I asked you, I've got two questions here. When I asked you to come on the coach learning series and you politely declined, who were you being? Yeah, I was being the boy on the. I was, I was yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, so just wanted to just wanted to leave that one there with you. When that's only one question, you, though. Yeah, there's two. When who were you when you decided to come to the gym last Tuesday? Yeah, I was the boy on the green bike. Yeah, were you? And it. Cool. No, that was the good boy, though. That was the boy going, okay. right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The, the, I the guess fingers. the one with the – yeah, giving you the fingers, and which I frequently do. And it is amazing, mate, because I do ref- – it's almost – that shapes my reflection of a day. Were there moments today where I didn't ride my bike and um, or where I, you know, turned around and jumped back on the footpath rather than rode it on the road? So it's a really cool um, lesson, Phil, and, and wicked learning. And as I said, it sort of shaped um, how I – sort of see the world and some of the risks that I might be more willing to take, like jumping on here. 
because I prefer <laughs> to be in your seat than mine. <laughs> Wait, I, that's super powerful. I absolutely love that. I, I was genuinely just thinking what my yeah earliest fondest memory was, and it was like preschool. Where you got the milk, and then you had to sleep. So I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, basically just like, yeah, have, have your milk and have a nap. That's, like, that's a mantra right there. So man, I love that. How, how else have you kind of gone about exploring some of that? Is that just, I hate the term getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, but like, have you, have you just grown to be more uncomfortable in what you discover about yourself? Like, is was that a little bit of like a slippery slope where you've gone, oh, it's going to lead to some other questions that I now can't avoid. Like they're just too noisy. They're too big. I have to deal with this. Yeah. Um, two things to that. It certainly opened up some other stuff that made me go, oh, that's, that's interesting. But then it was also, well, I've got two options now. Draw a line in the sand and just use it as like, I can't change anything in the past. Because oh, I think back about, you know, like if if I think back about me as a rugby player, shut up, Mike. Why are you laughing? Um, I didn't. I played number ten, and I didn't like tackling, and I didn't like being tackled. Um, I think that was the reason I got the Player of the Year that year because I accidentally tripped a guy up. Um, my first <laughs> tackle, um, but and then playing cricket, uh, I was pretty good cricketer until the ball started coming down. At, a lot quicker and then I was you know had a fear of um getting hit and then as a golfer the same sort of fears came through and I guess the reflection was well I'm 43 now and I've got I can't undo any of that stuff but I don't want to spend the next or however many years I've got left who knows but I don't want to spend them in that same state and then you think about your role modeling I got you know kids and think about your role modeling for them and what do I want them to say of me, you know, like, oh, he never really took a risk. He was a bit scared. So, or he he was willing to put himself out there. I'm the same as you, mate, with that comfortable being uncomfortable. Because um, if it's a, a, it's a, what do you call it? Can't happen. Like, if you're comfortable, you're not uncomfortable. So you can't be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Like, it's just, Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. Um, and I, it's just become a, it's become a bit of a, a trendy thing to say, hasn't it? But I, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, you as you say, you're always going to still be uncomfortable. But I, I just think that's a really good place for some people to be. Like maybe you don't want to be there too long, and, and yeah. I think maybe finding some strategies for yourself. So uh, I had Chris and Tim Jones on uh, a few weeks ago, and Chris did a is from a mental health first aid course, but he did a brilliant identity exercise. So you just draw a circle, um, like a bike wheel with spokes, and then you draw one line for every role that you play in your life. So golf coach, dad, you know, brother, son, sister, whatever it might be. Um, and I, I did this. So I, I look after some um, scholars at Birmingham City Uni and I, I had a first kind of face-to-face meeting with them and I, and I did it with them, um, took them through the exercise, but I'd kind of done it previously in the week building up to it. And it was just, it was really, really interesting to think of all the different roles that you play and I, I really do think the more I look at it the more they are roles like you I'm slightly different so I think I came up with 22 um so you know brother son uncle podcast host rugby coach head coach assistant coach mentor like you, you can just go through all these different facets and you go how am I different in all of these and that's my next exercise is basically starting to plot out what are the differences in how I approach me or the role 
and and some of the roles are completely different but actually it's what about me is the same and actually what changes and it and it was just and he there was a few other things about kind of basically once you finish your role travel back down the spoke or the line to your true self to kind of recenter before being something else because if i go from phil the the head coach for example to being phil the uncle like i don't want to take all the baggage from being the head coach to the uncle if i haven't just settled and gone right what what's and it's not even defining what's my role now but just going i'm done with that one whatever comes next for me in this next environment is great but i don't want to be turning up still being the other phil um but also really kind of identifying what sits in the middle like so i i kind of came up with like hopes dreams perception lived experiences knowledge like all these roles are all well and good but that's not the sum total of me as a person so actually what lives in the middle what is the stuff that is innately me that maybe i can't verbalize or describe or whatever but it just becomes this this other entity and and it was just yeah, it was a fascinating process to go through and it's it's just been really cool to then start going okay well how how do i do a bit more on this like how do i keep discovering this how do i how do i become more aware of what crosses over and what doesn't and yeah like mm. it's a very different way to get to maybe a similar place to where you've been but it's it's a it's a pretty cool experience yeah one of the things um sort of similar to that would be I was struggling a little bit with the podcast and I said to Carl, um, I, f- I feel like I have to provide uh, quality or learning or whatever for the listeners. And he said to me, he gave me three words that he sort of said, sum me up a little bit. One being curiosity. Obviously, I think we're all curious if we're coaches. And he said, he goes, you thrive on curiosity. That's where um, the questions come from. Uh, and then connection, he said, you love connecting with people and connecting people. But then he said an interesting one of um, collecting. So he said, your job on the podcast is to collect the dots so that people can connect the dots in their own way. And it was a really liberating thing to go, ah, oh, sweet. I don't have to provide the perfect podcast to Mike because he might listen and go, oh, that one was all shit. Um, didn't really enjoy that. And then someone else might go, that was really good. And so that freedom and then so during the day I think that fills my cup you know like what am I doing that where am I connecting with people or sharing connections where am I collecting information and passing that on and then where am I being curious so that's probably the inner part of that wheel eh, this that the spokes are leading off yeah I, I really like as you say put it in, in almost into a daily a daily thing am I am I finding that information am I getting my yeah my fill of that is pretty cool Mike, how do you find with the with the teams and squads you've been with? Like, how do you find the challenge around identity and and having to be true to yourself, but also all things to all people? Like, because if you've got a squad of 30, 40 people, like that's a real challenge. How how do you overcome that? How do you manage that? I guess the, the short answer is I don't actually believe we have to be all things to all people. Um I, I, I just don't. I just don't think I could be if I was going to be true to myself because ultimately, you know, we've all had, like um, we were talking the other day around, you know, can you think of who your best coach was and who your worst coach that you've ever had? But in some cases, that person who you might have had a real negative experience with being your worst coach might have been the best coach for somebody else. You know, so we're all 
different people in terms and you know we've got all got different stories around how we have grown up and what probably resonates with us I guess the the key for me is just trying to make sure that they all understand that I care about them and if they understand that I care we're probably about halfway there and then we can actually start you know, building that relationship and um, but it's still not you still you know you're not going to hit the mark with everybody and um, you know, that's definitely definitely the way that I go about things is is around that and then in terms of the identity stuff like I just create little rituals where you know I want to make sure that I'm living the the things that are important to me like demonstrating care making sure that we you know grow belief and belonging in the in the individuals in the team environment so just little things that I do I always give myself a pep talk before I get out of the car before I go into the team environment I have the same ritual around how I greet every single person in the team I never waver from that so you've got to have a pretty good memory if you've got 30 something people in your squad to make sure that you get around everybody with people arriving at different times and stuff and I always make sure that my first interaction is a positive one and try and make it with a person that's different to somebody that I've had a positive interaction with um, so it's that, that's in, that intentionality stuff that Jay was talking about before the intention is I want them to come away feeling really good around this encounter uh, which might be just sitting down and going, hey, man, I clip this for you and get the iPad out and show them making a really good tackle. It could be somebody that normally struggles with the, de- the defence part of the game. And you can just see their spirit, you know, their, their wairu are just, you know, they just puffs up their whole body and and what you're going to get out of them probably that day in terms of their training intent and desire and stuff will be heaps more. So I think yeah, for me is it's real easy to, oh, it's not easy. It's hard to kind of figure out who you are um, and, and I agree with Jay that you need a bit of help with that because it's easy to hide away from some things and I certainly hide away from a fair few things that have happened in my past. Um, but once you've kind of discovered that it's actually even more challenging to live that on a day-to-day basis and so it, it, and it doesn't, it won't just happen by accident. So for me, I like that whole stuff around what Jay was saying around the, uh, the Mirai protocol stuff around the intentionality but we can do that as coaches just by creating little routines and rituals that we have, that we put in place um, and actually understanding that every interaction that we have or every encounter that we have with people is an opportunity to, you know, maybe grow a little bit of belief inside them or get them or be, get them to be a little bit more open with you so we can understand what's going on. And um, I love all that stuff. I think that's where the gold exists is those, those interactions that we have. And mate, for me, that's coaching like, this most recent course that I ran had no uh, tactical, technical rugby stuff in it at all. And in fact, seven out of the 10 guests weren't even uh, rugby coaches. It's by far the best thing that I've ever done in terms of uh, that sharing and, and connecting stuff um, that Jay just referenced before. Because I think still in rugby, people want to hide behind knowing some stuff around this is how you do something technically or this is a new way of tactically going about the game, which is cool. And people like to talk and hear about that stuff because I guess it's that that's comfortable for everybody, right? We can all understand that and probably coach it if we understand it well enough and come up with some ideas around how to deliver that. But that's not actually making a difference. The stuff that makes a difference is all the softer skills, all the interaction stuff that we have. And that's where I get my, you know, I love that stuff and that's that's why I coach, you know, not because I've got a new fancy way of doing a mall or whatever. Like, don't get me wrong, I love malls and scrums, but nowhere near as much as I do people. So, um, and you could have the yes. best, you could, sorry, Joe, you go. 
No, I was going to say, I think you said an interesting thing this before and certainly based on Owen's book, which I'd, I'd love you to talk to because you often, you do with your favourite failures um, where it says um, hiding away from things in your past and, you know, Owen's big part in his book where he says carve your history into the walls, even the, even the stuff you're not proud of it because it's going to shape who you are and that often, you know, you talk about your favourite failures, eh? So. I reckon that was a real key bit, key bit out of that book and Owen's work. Yeah, I totally agree. I guess it's just one of those things where, um, you know, like it's easy to acknowledge a failing of a rugby team. It's pretty difficult to acknowledge a failing in yourself, you know, and and that's probably the difference. And you now there's some, and I've shared some stuff with you before around things that have happened in my life, um, you know, that I am, I'm not, I'm not proud of. And um, they're a hell of a lot more meaningful to me than whether or not Tauranga Sports won the championship in 2012 or not. You know what I mean? Like, and um, I guess that's why we're all on the journey of, you know, self-discovery and actually bringing that stuff to the fore and owning it. Um, I've made some good progress on that, but I've still got a fair way to go. You, you, You're not going to get me to cry today, Jay. <laughs> You touched on your rituals. Did you find those rituals just put you in a place? Like, I really like the term I've written that down in my notes, like bring your whole self to the encounter. Did you think your rituals enable you to do that? Have, have you found where you've been rushed or like a situation where you haven't been able to go through them? Like what, what's now the difference when you do your ritual to when you maybe haven't had an opportunity? Like, do you notice there is a distinct difference in what you can bring? I think if I'm bringing the energy to generate it always, work out pretty well so you know, that's part of the pep talk is I've got to bring the energy don't we can't rely on the athletes to be the sun like I think we 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 could we be the sun and they'll jump on board and then before you know it um the environment's just creating its own energy I guess and um but you can't rely on them because we don't know what's happened in their day or how they're feeling about the game and there's a lot of post-game anxiety that occurs between game game time and reassembly so the more that we can do to alleviate that, the better. Um, the rituals definitely do enable me to be more of myself because they put me into the situation of being able to talk to people and, and interact. And it might just be a couple of words or a smile or I'll put your arm around somebody or whatever. But I just try and make sure that I take as many of those opportunities as possible. And then I guess on a deeper level is, is really around those listening skills. And you know, when we actually get to a situation where somebody wants to share something is making sure that we nail that interaction around listening to them, reflecting it back to them, normalizing whatever whatever they've got going on, um, making it not making it about ourselves, but I still think there's an opportunity in there to normalize whatever's happening um, with a shared experience, owning that together, um, asking them what they need in terms of support, and then walking towards that together. And that's probably the key part is the last bit is what happens after that interaction. So someone might share something with you. And you go, holy shit, that's pretty intense. Um, pretty easy just to chuck the old head in the sand and just leave it. Um, but you'll never get that person back. And so that's the opportunity. And that's when they're actually crying out for some help and some support. And it might just be a check-in once a week is all they're after. Or they might want to, you know, it might be someone who's you know, out for the season or whatever. And you've created a little role with, with them and, you know, check in with them regularly. It could be anything, you know, like people breaking up at, uh, relationships at home or life's difficult or whatever uh, we've actually got to make sure that we kind of walk with them as opposed to sitting there listening and then 
rock up next week and don't even mention it. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, creating those rituals and routines and making sure that we actually do you know, really care about people and actually live that, um, yeah, it should be natural, but I guess like if I think about that identity versus shadow stuff, definitely in my identity is care. Like I love, I love people. And, but on the flip side of that is I can be a little bit complacent with those relationships, especially if you've been able to, you know, maybe build a really strong relationship with someone in a short amount of time. Um, you can have a degree of complacency and that'll probably do a hell of a lot of damage. So I just have to remind myself daily to make sure that I'm checking in with people to make sure that they're okay and get a real good feel for what's, what's going on in their lives. I don't know um, if I answered that very well, but that's all good. No, mate, no, no, no. It came across really well. Go on, Jay, jump in. I was just going to say one thing, like I've got our um, national men's squad arriving today. And so this Marae stuff for me is, is still, I'm still learning it. So I'm like, the re- I've got the recipe out, you know, trying to go, well, where does that bit fit? And so as an example of how those, because how those rituals work for me will be often if we have a national camp, people will arrive at different times because we're decentralized and you might walk in and you might be the last person to walk in and there's already people hitting golf balls or putting or having, you know, seeing one of the service providers and it, it kind of feels a bit, oh, that's weird. I've missed some stuff. And so today, and the boys won't know this because I won't, there won't be any explicit mention of it, but uh, when they arrive, we'll start downstairs in the clubhouse and we'll connect and we'll have a coffee and, you know, like we'll do the orientation stuff and then just see how they are. And then we'll go upstairs into the office. We will go through some of the stuff that I want to go through. And that's where that's the challenge. Like I'm going to lay down a challenge for you here, lads. Are you willing to accept it? Um, but the goal is I keep that in forefront of my mind because a couple of the conversations might be challenging is both parties leave with their mana intact or their pride intact. Um, and I'm not trying to win anything. And then a uh, big part of the Māori culture is um, sharing food. So then we'll go to a nice little cafe and have some lunch and just um, and, and reflect and use that as an opportunity to relax and talk about what we've just done. And then the final stage is then we get out and we'll try and apply some of those learnings. So for me, it's really useful to have this framework because in the past, I would they would have just shown up and I would have just gone, right, let's get straight into the, like Mike says, the tech tech stuff. But you miss a whole lot of stuff. Are you going to have some steak and cheese pies, Jay? Apparently, Phil's oh, a big fan. Hey, too, too big a fan. Too big a fan. That's, yeah. That's, oh, dear. Miss those. Anyway. Um, <laughs> let's, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. It's on steak and cheese pie. Um, yeah. <laughs> With the new process, so when you are the chef with the recipe, how explicit or not are you with the group that you are learning that? So I, the, the analogy I often use is the Wizard of Oz. Like, so the wizard is fake and actually how much of behind the curtain, because as soon as you know that there's levers and things behind the curtain, you know it's fake, so it loses the allure or the magic. But sometimes it's really important for players or the team or the squad or whoever to to know some of that because you again it's a role you play like you want to go hold on I'm a I'm a trainee chef with this like I've got some stuff to learn I'm going to try some stuff this isn't going to be slick it might fail I need your feedback like how how do you go about presenting that that it it's as slick as it can be without like that almost safety net of 
by the way, if I fuck this up, like don't hang me out to dry. Like this, this is yeah. something I'm trying in the same way you guys are trying stuff. Like, how do you guys go about that? Do you want to go there, Michael? Do you want me to go? Sorry, Jay, you can jump in on that one, mate. Oh, uh, so in this case, I won't be explicit with it at all. So in this case, I'll be just chipping away to see how can I bring this to life. I've also got another situation at the moment where because we can't travel from COVID, so we've got a team playing who are all based overseas so i'm trying to can i do this can i follow this process online so um because there is a little bit of a danger that it becomes um maybe in this country it becomes oh here's the cultural flag that we have to wave and we have you know whereas for me i, I love the engineering of it our christian puts it the engineering of the process is where the gold is not that it, it just so happens that maori culture have done it for the last thousand years um, and so I try and get away from it being um, an explicit Maori thing and going, this is a human technology and we can use this to grow. Uh, at the moment, it's probably more about me and I'm learning. So, um, yeah, I guess for me, I wouldn't be overly explicit at the moment. Do you think you have to be, Jay? Like- no, not, not for this, I don't. Um, I probably would be if um, I'd love... Well, I have done some work and doing some work with New Zealand Māori Golf, and I would love to, because I think the power and the potential in this is massive for young people. All the stuff that we're talking about, I reckon, Mike, goes back to the marae and, and tikanga and stuff. So I think it'd be cool if young people got a better understanding of this. So I may be if I was working with a certain group, but in this case, no, I don't think I need to be. Do you think this, the more explicit we become the more conditioned people can't become to things and then it loses its authenticity. Mm. Yeah, which I think is what you were saying, Phil, wasn't it? Yeah, I agree. Like I think a lot of things where we are explicit, you know, we might have team values, so they're explicit. People become a condition to those. They behave in a certain way, but they don't really want to. They just do because they know that's what's expected of them. Character-based selection type models, like... I think that stuff's a total waste of time now because everyone's become conditioned to that stuff and they just lie to you. And I think the more we can move away from that and just actually feel the context and maybe apply a framework without people really understanding that that's what you're doing, like there's intentionality of it, but it's not, we're not in a hurry. Like we've taken like time out of the equation, if you know what I mean, like just let it happen and um, we can still be intentional. It doesn't mean that we need to get to a predetermined outcome at the end of your camp that you're doing. It might be that, hey, we got a little way through and, man, we found some real gold in there, so we just chose to focus on that for a while. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things. There's one story that I, I don't know enough about, and I'd love to know more. So they talk about the world of Tu and the world of Rongo, and Tu has been the god of war. And he's outside the whare, the house, and then rongo is, you know, peaceful and learning and calm, and that's inside the house. And so for me, I think about that. To, as soon as I heard that story, I was like, this is a pre-shot routine in golf. You know, we're in the house, we're being calm, we're going through our process before we hit the shot, and then we're going to step into the world of competition. And now we're going to step into the world of two and now, um, you know, have to execute and compete. And I think, so in that case, I reckon there would be some power in the story, like, I don't know, in rugby, maybe, you know, the changing rooms before you go out to play. That's your sacred place. That's your funny. That's where you're at home. 
preparing to go out into the world of um, of two, you know, to preparing to go out into competition. So in that case, I might be quite explicit and weave the story into, because we're already doing this process, but it gives the process a bit more power. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. What, what do you guys do with the literal people? The ones that are just like, nah, not interested in stories. Give me, give me facts. Give me data. Give, give me a process and an outcome, and I'm on it. Because if I'm like, I, I definitely think. I guess this is maybe the new kind of trending coaching around the storytelling and weaving stuff in, and I, and I think it's awesome. But I'm also conscious that there are definitely people that I've come across that are like, nah, what, what's this? It's just a crap story. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in. I just think it's bullshit. Do you know what I mean? Because they are so literal. That is the world they live in. And you just, and I'm just like, oh crap. Like where, where was this in the book? Like, do you know what I mean? You're just going, what, what, everyone should love stories. Like, why is this guy not love stories? What, what do I say now? Like, and that's the kind of person that I would go, okay, you might, you might not have to take this literally, but there's a bigger picture. And that's probably the person that I would sit down with and go like, there's a step here and there's a process and they, maybe they need to see the whole picture because they don't like the mystery or they don't like the, the magic of it. They just want to go where, where, or how do I use this to get to my end point? And it might work for everybody else, but I'm just like blinkers on and I'm going for it. Yeah. I've got yeah, a really good example of, sorry, Jay. Now you go. I thought you'd um, have this one <laughs> standard. Um, I'm a guy that I coached with, Bay Finney, who, who was an older athlete, and he used to even so much so as he used to hate questioning. So, you know, we'd do some activity, we'd come in, and I'd say, Hey, boys, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Whatever the questions are, maybe just one question. And he'd say to me, Stop fucking um, asking me questions. Just tell me what to fucking do. I'm too old for this shit. And, um, but he was the same around all the other stuff around you know theming or storytelling as well like he just didn't see any time for it but on the flip side of that he also used to refer to all the young players as millennials even though they weren't actually millennials but that's a story for another day and he used to get really frustrated with their way of learning and so when I actually sat down with him and talked to him about the fact that hey man like the world's kind of moved from when you were you know 17 or 18 like some of these guys are and this, this is the intentionality of what we're actually trying to do here. And we can, we've already seen some really good success because some of our younger players were the better players in the team. Man, I just, I just, I don't, I don't need you to agree with it, but I just need you not to openly basically take the piss out of me in front of everybody when we're doing this stuff. And he was on board with it after that, like he could see the logic. So I guess in that case, I needed to be explicit with him because he wasn't really buying it. Which is cool. That was the place that he was at in his rugby. His last couple of years, he'd played Super Rugby, represented the Mighty All Blacks. Like he'd done a lot of awesome stuff, but he probably wasn't on a journey of self-discovery or wanted to be in an environment where discovery was kind of what we were doing. He just wanted to be told, "Tell me what to do. I'll do it. It's transactional. I go home to my family, and everyone's happy." But um, yeah, I guess there's always a case for that, and. And like I, I had a really good relationship with him, so it was cool. But he probably hadn't considered my perspective of what sort of how I was feeling. Like my manner certainly wasn't intact when he was really challenging me in front of everybody else with, with stuff that actually had a really good purpose behind it, you know. So, um, yeah, what were you going to say, Jay? I think your story is probably going to be better than mine. No, no, I was going to say I think um, 
I think rugby can lend itself to storytelling because it's quite competitive. It's a team game. And I think golf can be a bit more of a challenge because, um, you know, it's an individual game, I guess. Uh, and, and the data and numbers, like golf can be broken down into maths pretty simply. We do have a guy on our team who is very much that way. Phil, he's a mathematician that did a maths degree at university. And so, um, and, and the, <clears throat> I think, on the some of the data that we'll show them today, there's 97 different data points that we collect from a performance point of view, which he will um, just froth over. He'll love it. So, and I guess we do a lot more one-on-one interactions probably in golf because we don't have the massive team um, and it is an individual sport. Uh, but the, I guess the key point would be, I always say to players, like for something to be useful, we have to use it. Because as a coach, you can present all the stuff that you think is great, but if it doesn't get used, then it's essentially useless. And so uh, if he does come up, or if, like in this case, if he says something, I'll just sort of say to him, how can I, you know, here's the, here's what I'm trying to help you with, and it might be dropping into an engaged space before you hit a shot, and what might be the best way for you to or for us to create something that is, you know, it lands with him and... Um, so, yeah, I guess that would be one thing. It's probably a little bit easier for us because more one-on-one time. I was, I was just thinking then, you know, maybe you let the, there's the data tell the story. Like that's, mm. it's, it's the same principle, isn't it? It's just done in a different way and actually it's something that that connects with him. So, yeah, yeah. that'd be really interesting. How There's definitely some skill in that if it's, if you're not the data person and it, I guess maybe he even creates his own story out of the, out of the information and, and takes yeah. on the journey. So oh, that'd be really cool. Oh. Guys, I'm, I'm conscious of both your time. So um, Jay, do you want to kind of jump into, I know you touched on a little bit, but what was, what was kind of your, your chat to us about uh, going to be, have you got any, um, any kind of nods towards stuff? Um, yeah. So for me, it would be around the, the process of, um, I guess in my case, the tikanga of the marae, the process of the marae encounter, but I guess it would be defined as that being really intentional with your encounter. Um, And I like the word encounter because it doesn't just mean conversation or, you know, it's sort of, it covers everything off. Um, And then I guess having a process around that. So Christian Penny, who heads up the Coach Accelerator program in New Zealand, he's been, uh, he's been the, one that sort of introduced me to it and Mike can attest to this. He does a lovely job of just leaving you in your own <laughs> shit thinking confusion and just lets you sit with it. He's uh, he won't rescue you out of anything. And, and I think that's part of his beauty as well. When we first got together with the course, if you'd see someone was struggling, the other coaches, cause we're all from different sports would jump in and try and help the coach out and he used to get frustrated with us he would just go don't be the hero you don't need to you know your ego is not at stake here just shut up you don't have to be the hero with all the answers and and that would be one thing I guess to um you know like a lot of people don't necessarily don't always want an answer they just want they just want you to listen so and that comes back to do I need to win this encounter do I need to be the hero that has the answers so I guess yeah for me it would be um learning around that tikanga and, and Gordon Walker, who coaches Lisa Carrington, who's our most successful Olympian. She's five times gold medalist in the um, kayak racing. And he's the um, 
sprint coach for them. So I had him and Christian Penny on my podcast and talking about how they used tikanga to shape their whole environment and what they did. Um, so that was really that was really cool because it brought to life some of the stuff. And you know, sometimes as a coach, you can get excited about something and find out that you're the only one that's excited about it. But um, yeah, uh, and. You know, so to hear that Gordon was into it and it had brought it to life was like, ah, oh, that's cool. It feels like I'm on the right track. So, yeah, that would be, I guess, it doesn't have to be, as I said to you before, like it's not a cultural thing. It doesn't have to be a Māori thing. It was actually just a uh, really clever process that they've done for thousands of years or hundreds of years. Hey, Jay, I just thought I'd add to that one around Christian Penny. So um, I was fortunate enough or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, to be... Um, asked a question by Christian recently and it took me 30 minutes to answer it and then he told me after I just absolutely uh, died um, that there actually wasn't he wasn't intending there to be an answer and he had tried to stop me like three or four times in that half an hour to try and make that point and I just wouldn't listen to him and so (laughs) um, I have a huge amount of time for Christian and I came away from that uh, conversation with him feeling like I'd been hit by a bus so um, I think listening skills and and not actually having to have all the answers is probably a bit of a work on for me I'm, I'm in that boat I, I would definitely want my ego would want me to to be like yeah like you've got some answers definitely share them like that that will go down well and it's yeah it's difficult <laughs> to hold back sometimes isn't it do you know what I mean especially especially when you do see people are struggling it's kind of like as a I would still tend to think that is a big part of a coach's job. If if you, you I am a resource for you to use, if you genuinely don't know, there is probably a quick win there if I can give you an, and it's not the answer. And I definitely think that's, that's a key bit of it, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's not going, what I tell you is the only way to do something, but it's like, well, this maybe worked for me or I've seen other people do this. So there you go. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, definitely a big struggle. Um, my question was going to be, if you're intentional with every encounter, how do you stop that from becoming an agenda for every encounter? Because I would kind of think there's a little bit of a fine line there because if I want to intentionally listen, I might come to you and go, I, I know I just need to listen in the conversation and I, I'm not going to give answers. But I'm also wondering if, if we're kind of intentional, is that going in maybe more of the time with... I need to get something from this or I need to put my point across. As you said, is that like that, that winning that conversation? So how, how do you stop it being that? How do you give people the room to have the conversation that they want to have in an encounter when with, with you still being intentional, if that makes sense? If the intention is to, for them to understand that you care and you believe in them, what's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. Does, does that... Duh. Sorry, I wasn't meaning that to sound aggressive. No, 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 not at all. No, 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 no. I think it's a really good point. I'm just it's... But like I was intimidating you. Yeah, no. <laughs> you're always intimidating. You did lean forward. Um <laughs> bad habit. I need to work on my Zoom body language. Um can you can you always I guess you can always be that, like, but how if that's just you, so if, if that's your natural position. But how how does that always come across? Do you know what I mean? Because your your mood is going to change, and your there's going to be lots of different things. So, if there is a specific intention, 
And you could say your intention is always to be yourself, but like, is that the reality of every conversation we ever have on a daily basis that I can always do that? Because sometimes I might just need to get to a point really quite quickly. And it might be like a really shit conversation. I'm, I might be telling you your contract is up and you're out of a job. Like I might be bidding you. I might be deselecting you. There's a load of crap stuff that we might have to do. But if they know us, they're going to understand we care and everything else. But how, how do you kind of just constantly make sure that's always consistent? Yeah, that's, that is a good question. Um, I guess part of it would be the players in the academy understanding what our purpose is within the academy and how we try and support them for starters. Um, and I guess coming back to my curiosity being a big part, uh, RJ Smith is he coach developer here in New Zealand and had him on the podcast and he said something really cool. He said, go and go into some of those situations with one question and then just listen rather than having a whole list of questions that you're just waiting for the person to answer. So I found and that even on my podcast, I find for a while there, I used to do it with another guy and now do it on my own. And when the other guy left, I started to have a list of questions and, but I found that I didn't listen particularly well because I was just waiting to get to my next question. So that would be one part of which I really enjoyed. And one way that we reflect as a group now and as individuals, as I, again, I stole this from Tony Philp, who's general manager of Hurricanes Rugby now, but was um, the head of high performance sevens programs for New Zealand Rugby. And so we go, uh, the first part of it is three things I did well. Um, today and what enabled me to do them well so in golf people might go we used to do things good good better how and people would go oh, i putted good and that was it and then they'd go but i need to be better at driving and i need to be better at this and i need to be better at that so now we go right are three things that you did well and why so you can say i putted well but you've actually got to give me some feedback as to what you think um what was significant and that allowed you to putt well so it could have been I was really deep in my pre-shot routine and that's because I've practiced it for the last two weeks. I've been working really hard on my alignment or, you know, like I've got to give a reason so that we can start creating a performance blueprint, which is irrelevant for the question you just asked. But then the second part is, so we go three, two, one, and the two is two things I'm curious about. And I love that because it allows the person to not have to be better at anything or fix anything or assume anything's broken. So they could have played with um, Mike and gone, man, that was really interesting. I noticed Mike hit this particular shot a few times. Like he kept trying to top it and hit it along the ground. And I thought that was a really interesting strategy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they might, um, Mike might hit a short game shot that they didn't see. And then they might say, hey, I'm really curious about this. Or, you know, in rugby terms, um, I'm curious as to, I won't use rugby terms because I'll just show how ignorant I am. But, I love that two bits of curiosity because it gives them permission to not have the answers. And I guess that's probably the place where I try and sit in those conversations. And then the, the number one, just again, not relevant to this conversation, but is what's one thing I need to nail. And it's really interesting. We have different, some guys will go, I putted poorly today. So I need to nail that tomorrow. And other guys will go, I putted great today, so I need to nail that tomorrow. So some guys will always be the one positive thing they did, they need to nail again and other guys. But I guess it's that curiosity, but Phil, to answer your question, is if I go in with one question and then without an agenda about where this conversation is going to go. Um, and I think if you've got data, you can, which we tend to have, you can, if you need to direct the conversation a certain way, 
it is a bit easier. But um, yeah, the curiosity would be the critical part. No, no, yeah, just so much to think about here. Like you both, you both come up with some brilliant stuff there. So um, none of it's mine. Me neither. Stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Honest as well. I mean, there you go. But haven't we all? Like it's it. Nothing's new, is it? Like that's that's be honest. Yeah. It's just finding what works, isn't it? So um, no, I love absolutely superb. Um, I did have a question, but my mind is gone because I'm now looking at your list of three, two, one. Um, well, there we go. Give me, give me some stuff you guys are curious about. Like, where, where is your is your mind drifting to next outside of the stuff you kind of talked talked about? Uh, I'll go. Like um, you were pausing there. Uh, <laughs> mine would be. I'm really interested in ecological dynamics. Um, oh and my that, god! I don't even understand. Uh, no one understands this shit, Jay. No, well, and, and, and I don't either. Would, I don't either, which is why I'm interested in it, because a lot of it makes sense to me, and I I have good people around me. Some are in that camp, some aren't, and so I guess that's probably what I'm being curious about at the moment, Phil. And and I don't think it needs to be binary either. I think we can drop in and out of different things that we like. Um, yeah. So, but it, shut up, Mike. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's what I'm interested. In. That's what I'm curious about at the moment. Thank you, Jay. I'm also curious about that as well because I have zero understanding after listening to your podcast the other night. Um, but anyway, I must have been listening to that one. A couple, yeah, one of your better ones, mate. Um, what I'm curious about at the moment is uh, most recently coaching the Waikato women's team. I experienced a sense of freedom that I've never felt before as a coach. And so I've done a lot of reflection on that around maybe the context, some things that happened. Um, the involvement of my kids in the team, which is quite different to a, a men's team, like felt really, um, I guess, accepted. Um, and so what I'm curious about is how can I identify what the factors were that led to that freedom um, and then try and replicate it, uh, which I think will be challenging because every context is different. Um, but that will be my little work on for the next couple of months is to try and um, have some conversations around maybe what happened in order to find that again, because it was a magic little spot to be in, that's for sure. Fantastic. Boys, absolutely love that. Uh, just before we wrap up, do you want to give guys a bit of a nudge to, I mean, we've mentioned it already, Jay, but your your podcast and Mike, your learning series and, and other stuff you're kind of engaging with at the moment, like what what are you guys up to? Where can people find you? What's, what's good? Um, Mike's learning series is outstanding. I just completed Coach Learning Series 5. Um which is a brilliant resource. And I've got a podcast, not speaking for you, Mike, I, I do a podcast called Talking Performance where I have uh, various guests on and had the pleasure of having Mike with me last night. Uh, I do it live on Facebook at 8 o'clock on Monday nights in New Zealand, which would be 8 o'clock Monday morning in the UK and have guests from, uh, have a few guests from all over the place, really, in various parts of the world. So that's where you can find me. Fantastic podcast, that one, Jay. I think I'm one of only two outstanding. <laughs> I came away from that thinking, mate, I don't even know if I had anything good to say, but I guess we'll... You don't be. usually. No, that's right. <laughs> well, it's pretty hard to be, you know, up there up there in terms of listens two times. They want you, you've only got there, got a certain amount of bullshit to say. Um, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, what I'm up to at the moment is I'm running a, 
a series of coaching courses called the Coach Learning Series. We've just completed uh, Series 5, which Jay just referenced. Um, it's been a really awesome experience for me to facilitate that, and in particular, the most recent one where I had uh, nine guests on from all sorts of different sports and performance backgrounds, which is uh, really cool, but the magic that kind of happened within that one is we had 50-odd people on the course and the connectedness connectedness between those people, um, probably because of the high-quality guests that we had, um, just really took off. Like, I've never really experienced uh, anything like that. So it was really cool to see that, um, yeah, Jay's taking the piss out of me now, but that's okay. Um, it was really cool to see and... In particular, the level of support people had for each other on their little journey, a number of coaches had referenced the fact that they were pretty close to quitting and and the network that we've been able to create there is cool. So I'm currently looking at moving that over to a teachable platform and making it more of a subscription-based service where um, you effectively buy the, the library of content that we've had before and we continue with once a week uh, type scenario, but more around learning and supporting and it's the supporting part that I didn't know uh, there was a huge demand for and, and that seems to be the um, direction that we're heading in so pretty blessed to be able to um, you know, facilitate that stuff it's been heaps of fun. Awesome I, I just out of interest I, I, I always forget to ask this to the other guys that host podcasts and do bits but just how impactful do you find that stuff on yourself? I mean Mike you touched on it there but like on a weekly basis do, do you just find that is your CPD because that's now one of the major, major reasons. I kind of forget that people listen to this. Like it's just, it's just class for me every week to chat to people that know loads of stuff. Who, who, that I don't know and you know what I mean? Like, it's awesome. does anyone, does, do you didn't say that anyone's going to listen to this, mate? What's going oh, on? Yes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure they'll still be listening to be honest. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, exactly. they definitely do. They definitely do. Um, yeah. Like how, how do you guys find that as an experience? Oh, for me, it's the best thing I've ever done from a PD perspective. Um, you know, the learning that you get off both the guests and the other people that are part of the conversation is, is pretty awesome. And um, in terms of my mental well-being, like, um, actually being part of a like a live discussion is really good for me um you know so aside from being in a rugby team environment which I, I really love and that's really good for my mental uh well-being facilitating this type of discussion where you're on there for 90 minutes and it's you know you've got to be on in terms of energetic and stuff but we can feed off other people man it's, it's just so good for me I always I come away from every single one buzzing and it probably takes me a couple of hours to come down. So I'm sure Jay couldn't sleep last night after having me on the podcast. It's, it's fair play for doing it live. Like, I, I don't know how well I'd get on with that. The the, the backup for this is always I can edit it. So I'd, with the bits where I stumble or sound like a moron, which is quite often, I just can cut out and no one knows. Like, <laughs> fair, fair play for doing it live. That's brave. Yeah, I'm the same as you, man. I just think it's, I get to, I, I sometimes pinch myself at the people that I get to speak to. Um, I had Stuart Armstrong on uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, like it, reality is if I said to him, hey, Stuart, can I give you a call on Monday night and just have a yarn? He'd go, ah, don't think so. But, you know, <laughs> but it's a podcast. So I just, and that's the beauty is what Carl Sheeran said to me, like, now I just ask questions that I find interesting. And if you do, cool. And if you don't, well, that's cool too. So now it's sort of that freedom and doing it lives, um, yeah, I enjoy it because we have a bit of interaction from people who are listening and ask questions and stuff. And 
Mike Mike threw a bit of a spanner in the works last night with some of his language. But <laughs> <laughs> I did ask for permission. You did. You did. But you weren't expecting the, the C word, were you? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> it's brilliant. Is that, the first, that would be the first time on the episode to be done. It's 72. That was number one of the C bomb. <laughs> oh. well, I did ask for permission and it did have the desired effect. It really caught you <laughs> off guard, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, when uh, when's that one out? We're gonna have to go go listen to that. It's already live, oh, so okay. you can never listen. Yeah, about halfway through, you'll hear the sea roll. Nice. Surely you've cut that out, Jay. Come on, mate. I don't do any editing, mate. I just edit the start. I have got a funny edit at the start, which I'll share with both of you um, before we went live, and then I just when we finish, I just cut it, and I don't do any editing. It takes me. I'm a bit like you. It takes me too long to get. To, I don't get to sleep sort of before midnight. I finish at nine o'clock and normally there's just so much energy and stuff going through my head that I can't sleep. So except for Especially last time, I fell asleep at 9.30. It was boring as. <laughs> to sleep. Uh, guys, no, this has been class. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has been um, yeah, fascinating for me and I'm sure for, for the listeners, they will take an absolute load away. So um, best best places to reach you, Twitter, social media handles. What's, what's, the, what's the lowdown? Do you know them? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Inside Running, I think. I'm not really on Twitter anywhere as much as you are for whenever I go on there. I've just got you and a couple of other extremely famous people that I follow. So there you go. Um, Email is probably best. Oh, sorry, LinkedIn. Uh, you can probably find me on there easy enough. And um, email Mike at InsideRunning.com. Top man. And mine, I think, I think on social media, it's Jay Carter Golf. Um, and or talking performance on Facebook. Um, and LinkedIn, yeah, I don't even know LinkedIn. I think I'm just my name. Um, and Phil, I have to get you on my show, mate. You'll have to get used to this live thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I won't be dropping the C-bomb, but I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can, it's, that's an easy win, right? I can literally be <laughs> yeah. second to worst guest and still be better than Mike because I didn't you, swear. It can't be any yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> so Monday, Monday mornings for you, 8 o'clock. Nice. I'll, yeah, send, mate. I'll send you a couple of dates. Yeah, awesome. No, I'll be really keen. Clock, clock's changed soon, so I don't know which way we go. It's like 13 hours. No, neither. But, but mate, yeah, I do nothing on a Monday morning, so it's fine. Um, Perfect. Cushy life. Awesome. Right. I will round up the roundup. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a great discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. I'd like to thank you again for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. 